Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Ooh. Welcome, everybody, to Lunch with Tech Leaders, uh, hosted by the, the Great Lakes Tech Leaders Discord server. First one on the server. Welcome, everybody. Um, my name's Adam Oberhausen. I, uh, I work with Right Brain Networks here in Ann Arbor, and, um, you know, we're trying to build this community and uh, help help folks network, learn, um, talk about interesting topics. And uh, today's topic is... Uh, how to think like a software architect. Um, so full disclosure, I am not a software architect, so uh, don't uh, consider me an expert, but I brought some folks here who are experts and uh, I will introduce them and I'll allow them to introduce themselves. First up, we've got uh, Tom Kowalski. Tom, wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, howdy. Uh, Tom here. I uh, I had the title of Chief Architect at Daysmart Software. Uh, we did small business um, software solutions, did that for about 16 years. Uh, and I've just recently started consulting. So doing custom software and data. Um, so that's me. And uh, someone on the Right Brain team who I consider uh, an, an internal expert we have, uh, Jason Brown, if you wanna go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey there, good afternoon. Yeah, uh, Jason Brown here. So I've also, similar to Adam, uh, working at Right Brain Networks. Uh, I've been with the company for about uh, eight, eight and a half years now um, with a background in software development and uh, slowly sort of uh, shifting gears into more of a, a cloud solutions architect role. Um, yeah, but happy to be uh, part of the conversation. Great, thanks, uh, Jason and Tom. Um, anyone on the call have a, would, if they'd like to speak up and say, hey, I'm a software architect or my role is in the architect area i'd love to hear from people on the on the on the call right now to say just speak up and let us know what you're doing and how you've been involved with architecture hi i'm spencer thomas um i'm a technical architect at ithaca i've been uh formally in that role for over a decade um but um probably thinking architecturally for longer than that great Anybody else? Uh, Lance, Lance, a lot. Carlson. Uh, I've been running uh, tech teams for a long time. Um, have been in various architectural uh, roles. Um, so yeah, I think about this stuff on a pretty regular basis. Awesome. Um, so I did put together a, a Google Doc that I just posted in the in the chat. Uh, should be open, to everyone. But um, just some things. Just some thoughts and um, you know what I've come across in my learnings of of software architecture. Um, by no means a definitive guide, but um, I think it's. Uh, I I, um, I recently read a book called Clean Architecture, um, which is uh, by Robert C. Martin, and uh, you know it's 
it was tough to follow, I'll be honest, but um, I was able to glean some of the some of the core concepts of it. Um, he also wrote another book called um, Clean Code, um, which is I think written in the '90s, but you know, still very relevant um, today. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just kick it off with what I thought was you know a really interesting way to the goal of software architecture, um, which is you know cost reduction. The role of the architect is to reduce the cost of development, deployment, and maintenance of the system. You want to keep the manpower required to develop, deploy, and maintain the system to the lowest level possible. Does it is any any thoughts on that? As a as the is that the goal of architecture as you guys see it, or is there other thoughts there? So I I was editing this document earlier. I think there's a sort of a not to be pedantic about the wording, but I think that businesses, um, their main um, objective is to be able to, uh, you know, adapt and change uh, quickly uh, as market forces pressure them to to do so. Um, and if your system is not set up in a way that makes it easy and conducive to change, um, that's where you run into issues. Um, so the word maintenance and, you know, <laughs> and whatnot, like, I think the word I'm looking for is change, being easy to change. And there are definitely processes that are more conducive to doing that, especially in a production environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you, Lance. Um, and, but I think, you know, I, I'm really wowed that uh it kind of boils up like that adam you you kind of hit the nail on the head there like almost everything that i can think of kind of could be um identified as like cost uh, cost reduction in some form right like performance um is cost reduction uh, like having a highly performant application is like cost reduction in your um you know oh i don't know I get what you're saying. It really surprised me too, though. When like I was watching a video series, and and the guy was like, "Oh, this should be obvious. It's cost reduction." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "I thought it was to you know, design a clean system." But I mean, when you when you look at what the cost reduction means in terms of architecture, it is keeping the manpower required to deploy and maintain the system at the lowest level. Deploy and change the system. Tom, what do you got? I'd like to say that's just half of it. Right. Okay. Yeah, the, the the cost is one thing, but it's the it's the value to the customers. That's number one. Right. You want to drive costs down so that you can keep providing value, right? And, and bringing in more revenue. Um so yeah, I'd say the other side of it, um like was mentioned before, is you know, being able to to change, you know, quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Making it so that the software is uh, you know, adaptable. Um to provide value to your customers quickly. Yeah, that kind of gets into the um, some of the pitfalls where it's like you've got, when you talk about delivering value to stakeholders, you've got what the behavior of the application, you know, you want your application to behave in a way that makes or saves money for the stakeholders. That's really the essence of all software. And most programmers think that like that's the most important thing. The other value you're delivering to the stakeholder is the word software itself, soft meaning the system is flexible or can be easily changed and the where is the product. So um, I think a lot of times you'll see 
organizations prioritize number one over number two. Um, but it's much better to have an application that doesn't quite work, but can be easily changed versus an application that quote unquote works, but cannot be easily changed. So when I saw that goal is cost reduction, I hadn't ever thought about it that way. And I'm still kind of processing that idea. Um, and I think one of the potential pitfalls, if you will, in using that term um, is that as architects, we need to think long-term. So we're talking about cost reduction over the entire life cycle of the product, not cost reduction over the next quarter or the next year even necessarily. Um, and I think when you, you, you gotta frame it because otherwise you end up um, making short-term decisions with long-term impacts. Yeah, it's right. like that, the quadrant, right, of like the costs, right, versus revenue, and then short-term, long-term, right, and it's it's balancing that with uh, with like you know the the business goals, right, your 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 OKRs. Well, I, I take a little bit of a a stance on the other side, a little bit. Um, all businesses are different. All customers, they they have they're all little snowflakes, right, but. Ultimately, the end user, the end consumer, you need to deliver them value. And you need to develop. So maybe it is uh, an end consumer that doesn't need that much change and they just need something that performs well. Whatever the. You're, you want to build software to the constraint of what is delivering customer value in the marketplace uniquely, you know, at the best clip right now. Yeah. What whenever I, you know, went into a project or we're working on something, it's uh it's that balance, right? You you think about the long term and you think like, okay, how could it change, you know, wh what might happen? But you just keep that in the back of your mind, but then you deliver on that value now, like thinking about it, you know, as you're making those choices to deliver value now to your customers and making those choices, you know, you're you're kind of going in a path that allows you to 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 change and and move towards that the the further goal the longer term goal right and i'm not i'm not saying like every two weeks you need to be delivering customer value um i'm i'm a big proponent and i like this um this process by uh, 37 signals called uh shape up and uh instead of like the traditional agile iteration of two weeks and um you know this crazy sprint planning stuff like you could scale it out to six weeks of, of um, like, this is a feature I want to develop. The constraint is six weeks. And, you know, whatever comes out of that six weeks is what, what you get. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a whole process of working with the stakeholder and working with the um, developer and designer of that feature that is really interesting. And can six weeks is like just enough time where it's like you have to make decisions. Um, at you know, especially towards the end of the six weeks, um, but like you know, it's also enough breathing room to get creative about what we're delivering, what value we're delivering to the consume the customer. You mind you mind posting the a link to that in the in the chat here? Yeah, definitely. Thank you.
Um, okay, so we're I think we're you know we're talking a lot about you know we want to deliver value as architects and like can anyone um, share like a um, an example from real world where they've you know had a project were in charge of the architecture of it and you know how you went about it and just kind of walk us through what it was like and what were the what were you trying to overcome and how did it go? Crickets. Kind of really open there, right? Like describe like any um Yeah, how about I mean maybe like a, a serverless project, Tom, something that you, you know, architected how you established what it would Yeah, so so in my um uh, experience, right, especially over the last few years, it's not so much like a single project, right? Like my role is more um the integration, right? The alignments of all of the, the projects and things like that. And I feel like um, it's it's kind of more important, right? It, it depends on the team, what they want to do for like a single project application. Um, but so so there's a, a motto, right? Mantra or whatever um, that's, you know, made famous by Netflix is the loosely coupled, highly aligned. And I, I relate that to everything, right? It, it all kind of comes back to it. Any of the design choices and things like that. Um, so yeah, kind of like my overall you know, thinking about it is making sure that there's alignment between all of the projects, right? They're, you know, the same type of standards of the the data, right? And how it's integrated and things like that. Um, but then once it comes down to it, it's kind of on the team to make their own choices of like the, the technology, like the underlying part of, of each project. Okay, very good. There. Anybody else have anything to add on on their, their personal experiences with architecture and how they go about it? I'm trying to um, take, sort of pull out a coherent example, but um, I, I don't know, you know, sort of what sort of realm um, each of us works in. Um, in in my case, um, you know, we we have built and are continuing to iterate on um, a large web-based software platform. Maybe many of you are doing that, um, which has actually been uh, in existence through multiple technology iterations uh, since 1997, um, and we've got like 20 different engineering teams. And so the uh, the Netflix mantra was one that we picked up early um, of independent and aligned uh, because with, you know, uh, over 100 developers on 20 teams working on different parts of a system that all have to work together, um, we need to give everybody the, the independence to do implementation in the way that works for them, but also the dependence of making sure that everything interoperates. Um, and so one of the non sort of non development roles that we architects find ourselves in is encouraging modeling and encouraging 
uh, sort of systems level thinking among engineers. Uh, because one of my experiences, especially with, with younger uh, software engineers, is that um, they tend to be very focused on the thing that they're working on at the moment um, and not always considering how it fits into the system as a whole, how it fits into this cooperating suite of, uh, you know, over 100 um, different applications all working together to provide one product. Um, and I don't really know how to cohere that into like a single example at this point. No, but it's great insight, Spencer. Like, I think it's basically, I, you know, I think in my document, I say a good architect must continue to be familiar with and or write code and a good developer must participate in the design. You can't just have developers writing, you know, writing a, a JIRA, you know, finishing, writing, working on a JIRA ticket in a bubble without kind of at least taking a step back and thinking about how this piece fits into the whole puzzle is what you're trying to articulate, right? So I think that's that's really insightful. Yeah, I, and um, I think it re really comes down to how you're organized, right? I think it's like Conway's law, right? How your, how your teams are organized, right? Is how your software is organized and communicates. Um, so it goes hand in hand and that does, you know, the other side of, you know, being a software architect is working with the rest of the business on that, um, you know, organizational structure of the individual teams, you know, owning the project, right. Owning the solutions, owning that customer value. Um, and, and how that plays in with the, uh, the rest of the company, right. The, it's like the whole DevOps thing of not having, you know, your your company separated the infrastructure here, QA over there, right? And and having uh, each team owning those solutions um, kind of directly translates to how, how that software is architected. Yeah, uh, I'd also like to chime in as well um, with a uh, personal uh, experience, which kind of dovetails in with what you're talking about. Well, actually, we both, uh, what you were both talking about, uh, Spencer and Tom. So um, this is quite a few years ago now, but um, we had been helping out um, a, uh, a client uh, because they had sort of gotten themselves, uh, they've dug themselves into a hole. I mean, they had a monolithic application that was gigantic. Um, and, and it was so, there were so many different interconnected dependencies between all of the different components. Um, and uh, it just, they had the problem of that they were they were not able to adapt quickly enough to address the shifting scope of requirements and and really fulfill the value that they needed to to fulfill for um, their stakeholders uh, and and users. Um, so we were uh, brought in to kind of to help develop a strategy for um, breaking down the monolith and actually um, separating it uh, into into components that were um more narrow in, in scope uh easily adaptable um so that uh they can continue um moving forward and adapting and changing without um the the problems that they had been experiencing i mean when you'd make one change they'd have a whole bunch of different components that would have to change along with it and it just extended the time to um to be able to address issues um, and get that out out to market um so that was a really interesting experience, being able to to go in there, 
really learn the the app inside and out and then just start to to um, separate things along behavioral lines like what what are the reasons for components x y and z changing you know really untangling the the web of dependencies um and and what was interesting too is what we found is that a lot of it was um uh it was easier to restructure at the um uh the component level than we thought but a lot of the data was really closely tied together at the database level, at the data, the, the data level. And so we really had to work backwards and to uh, really analyze, okay, well, what parts of the, what, what, what is the nature of the data that we are um, handling and which components are, are handling that data and what, like really uh, narrowing the scope of, of what different types of data are necessary for certain components. Um, I, I know I'm kind of like speaking in generalities because I can't get into too much of the details, but um, yeah, just wanted to, to share that with the group. Really. That, uh, th yeah, that I can really relate to that because uh, within a company, it's kind of hard to have the disparate data sources, right? W within each service, there's going to be um, duplicate stuff right it's within domain driven design right it's you have you could have a customer in each different section of the software um in each different component right that has different values and things like that and i think that is the hardest thing you know when working with teams is they don't they feel like there should only be one right like source of truth within everything so it's really hard for them to have data that is kind of the same in the in the different systems but but what really helps with with me in conveying that to the teams is to think about your team right your your application your component that you're developing think about it like it's a, a another company like a separate service that you're charging for and you're you know you could charge other teams for and that helps them get in the mindset of thinking about those boundaries right of of okay it it is its own application that you know, you may not charge for it or whatever, but thinking about it like how other teams can consume it, um, if you think about, you know, that app, like it is going to be to the world and we are going to charge for it, this API or whatever, it uh, it allows them to visualize and, and think about it more, those uh, those boundaries. I, I like establishing the boundary based on something that you're going to service. It, to me, um, a couple of things. First of all, I... Uh, does that web service that 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 thing you spun off does that web service have to be a web service that is only consumed internally you know how does how do you create services that are delivering direct customer value versus internal value only you know that can be a big problem when you're setting up the project and you know trying to get adoption from other uh people in the in the organization another thing i want and I, I, I don't want to be the controversial person here always, but I, I do like to ask the, you know, the interesting questions is that like, do you always have to break down the monolith? Like at what point do you have to make that decision? Because as soon as you start breaking down the monolith, um, it, a monolith by itself isn't a problem. It's that there were those boundaries weren't defined to begin with uh, as, you know, components. And you're 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 spot on when you're saying okay the database is where the um, you really have to look to make sure that you're getting the the stuff the the, the data that aligns together correct and um, you know when you do have everything it's it's a it's a little bit simpler to do migrations in the beginning um, 
when you when you do have everything still in a monolith like I think that people are going straight for these microservices and web services too quickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I uh, totally agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, yeah, people need buzz, to... buzzwords and synergy that they chase. Right. Like it's not, we, I, you know, Tom and I have a lot of experience with dealing with monoliths and it's like a lot of times a business doesn't have the, the focus to like think about what it takes to break down a monolith into microservice. You know, that if you're dealing with a 20 year old code base that could take, years right um so um our approach was like whenever we do a new thing or we develop a new feature let's try to you know create that as a as its own quote-unquote service or you know just create its own component just keep it make it like tom said like it's its own service business almost that operates you know independent of what the whatever the monolith is doing um and that kind of that kind of uh, also built momentum of, about breaking up the monolith because as teams go back and work on the monolith, they'll say, oh, well, like this thing is sending, you know, emails. Like, why don't we break this out of the monolith and put, you know, just stand up an email service that uses SES or something. Why do we need to break the monolith? Because as soon as you start breaking the monolith, you have to start thinking about events. You have to start thinking about eventual consistency. You have to think about redundant data like you guys were talking about before you have to th- and then you break down one of the most powerful things that the database gives you if you're using a relational database which is the sql you know a relational bit which you know you get to query anything across you just replicate your database and now you have something that your bi people can query easily yeah i i have nothing against the monolith in our situation we were acquiring companies and you know trying to leverage services a- across them um, so that that was kind of where that came in, um, and that, I'm completely okay with the monolith. the The only thing is, though, is there has to be a team, right? And then a hierarchy, like one team owning it, like end to end, um, or, or like at least owning it, right? And then treating other teams like they're they're contracting out like this piece or that piece. The the problem that I've seen with the monolith is that it kind of becomes no one's responsibility once you have start to have multiple teams and then you know certain no one cares about performance or you know not doesn't care but it, it it's kind of not my responsibility or or security or things like that so it, i'm okay with the monolith as long as there's one team that owns it right it owns that security owns the performance owns the value that it's driving and then the other teams you know it's it's being contracted out i'd like to say right it's like another company um to to work on the different pieces and aspects and and things like that i can talk about why we broke the monolith uh, what seven years ago now um because before when we had a monolithic application we were managing to get between three and four releases out a year and we were not able to do all the feature changes that we wanted to do um, in that process. And now we're having hundreds of releases a week um, and new features at a, at a much higher rate. Um, along, I, th- I feel really with better stability. So that, that's how it worked for us. But I totally understand that it's not the way it's going to work for everybody. I think you can still really you can still release a lot if you have a monolith if you do feature flagging and other things that can help. You know, I like it, to say it, it comes feed. back to the architecture of that monolith. 
I think too, right? Like you, you right. can have a monolith that's like has boundaries, has you know, it's still component based. Um, and you know, as long as it's, it comes back to having good architecture. If the effort to change the system is low, then the architecture is good. If the effort yeah. to change the system I, climbs and climbs over time, then your your monolith is the architecture. Your monolith probably needs some work. Where where are where ma uh, monoliths monoliths fall on their face is when your testing framework is running for days and you know you that's a big problem. Um, but like as soon as you start spinning off services, you still need some sort of integration testing framework that hits those web services uh, with your front end application. Um, you know uh, you know it to me though you you got to really think hard before spinning off services just because it's like you know. What we, your integration framework, your integration testing should be pretty good. And every time you want to set that up, it's got to be, you know, there's a lot of components that you have to uh, redo, which is set up your CI and everything else, and then make sure that your CI pulls in everything in the environment and integration tests everything. Well, um, I, I totally agree about the the testing, right? If you if your tests are taking too long to run because you've got just everything under the sun under that thing, that's a good, really good point. Um, but before you know, we're close on time here. Um, I did want to bring up the fact, like, what if you've got something that's just small in scope and you and there's not really any developers um, at a at a company, right? Uh, we just made a decision in uh, a company that I've been helping. They don't really have any in-house developers. Uh, maybe one day they will, uh, but everybody's a contractor, um, and they're just trying to get some app off the ground. The app is um, basically just um, provides access, or the API just provides access to data uh, that's collected through IoT. Um, and the if we were to split all of these like little, basically every table off into its own service, uh, the RBAC, which is exactly what we're really concerned about in this uh, in this API, makes is a lot harder. So we decided that microservices wasn't the right fit for this application and this organization. So there's many reasons that you might want to choose one or the other. Um, and I think you know organization size and who's going to be working on this code, um, and you know it comes into that maintainability, right? Yeah, I think I, I like. To that Kanye's law or whatever, where it's Con Conway Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye's law, Jesus, um, is you know yeah you, you the the organization of teams is really how your services shake up. Like once you start getting to hundreds of people in an organization, like you the boundaries are more about the humans involved and not um, and not so much like you know like you just you you really want smaller teams. Like maybe five people on on a project. Like I can I can see where like a larger organization, maybe it would make sense. You know these separate projects, especially then you get the advantage of these deployment, um, uh, you know these separate deployment um, performance considerations, right? Because you know a, a separate web service can can uh, be spun up and spun down, and and has uh, it has its own. Uh, uh, like requirements for making sure it doesn't pollute the rest of the environment with events and stuff that's going to corrupt the rest of the system. It has its own performance characteristics. Uh, I can I definitely appreciate when one service is getting uh, when one part of your business value is getting uh, oversized load and then monoliths do fall on on its face. But 
I, I have consistently seen that like pushing so much into microservices has is one of those things that I feel like we should rein back a little bit and and you know SOA service oriented or architecture has been around forever is is better um, when you're thinking like you should think about the the teams the business value and and really think about why you're doing that before you do it well stated um, well guys I think this is a great conversation and a, and a topic that we're going to continue to explore uh, through the community. So um, want to be respectful of everyone's time. Want to thank all the, the guests for uh, being here. I want to thank the co-hosts, Tom Kowalski and Jason Brown. And, um, you know, this is the first of many of our uh, Lunch with Tech Leaders on the Discord server. Glad to see so many people here. And uh, I think we're going to sign off now. But I'm going to hang around for a few minutes if people want to um, just chit chat. But I am going to stop the recording now. And uh, yeah, thanks again, everyone. See you next week.